0: Courage has been described throughout the pages of divine inspiration in both the Old Testament as well as the New. Here in our text, we find that God, in the beginning of the chapter, is telling Joshua that his servant Moses is dead. He tells Joshua that as a result, it is he that must arise and go over this Jordan in verse number two he tells him that thou and all this people unto the land which i do give to them even to the children of israel and you remember that god further tells him that every place that the sole of his foot shall tread upon that he has given unto him as he had said unto moses and you remember that there was a reason for the, uh, the reason that Joshua should have courage or take courage was because of the three great assurances that God gave him. He said, As I was with Moses, number one, I will be with thee. He said, Secondly, I will not fail thee. And thirdly, nor will I forsake thee. And so, as a result, God tells him to be of good courage. We find also another example when there is an exhortation or an exhorted time when Joshua did the very same thing with reference to giving that exhortation for courage. We find that Joshua before his death called for all Israel, for all the elders and heads and judges and officers and said, I am old and stricken in age. And you remember, he tells them that they have seen all that the Lord hath done unto all these nations because of them. In fact, he tells them that the Lord your God hath fought for you. Joshua tells them that he has divided unto them by lot these nations that remain to be an inheritance for their tribes, from Jordan with all the nations that he had cut off, even unto the great sea westward. He tells them that the Lord shall expel them from before them and drive them out of their sight, and they shall possess their land as the Lord God had promised. And then you remember in Joshua chapter 23 and verse number 6, where the Bible says, Be ye therefore very courageous to keep and to do all that is written in the book of the law of Moses, that ye turn not aside therefrom to the right hand, or to the left. You remember in the New Testament there are many examples when men were exhorted to have great courage. You remember from the words of Jesus as found in the 10th chapter of the book of Matthew, when Jesus was before his disciples. Jesus said, the things that I have told you in darkness, you need to be courageous, you need to be bold, and you need to be not fearful. Because what I have told you in darkness, those are the things that you are going to now declare in the light. The things that I have said, as the the King James Version says, the things that I have said in your ear, or the things that you have been told by me in private, it is those things that you are boldly going to proclaim from the housetops as well. You remember that the great Apostle Paul said to the church at Corinth, In 1 Corinthians chapter 16 and verse 13, he said, Watch ye, stand fast in the faith, quit you like men, and be strong. It is imperative that you and I that are endeavoring to live the Christian life, it is imperative that we have courage. If we are living our life in such a way that we feel as though we don't need courage then it's time to take a retrospective view inside our life and take a good glance at the things that we do, the things that we stand for, the things that we proclaim, the people we hang out with, the things that we say from day to day, the hobbies that we endeavor to participate in. We need to look at those things because a Christian is to be different. And if we are going to be different in a world that is around us that is corrupt, it must take courage in our life to stand for that which is right. I want to notice with you a few things that makes it necessary for you and I to have courage. Number one, when you and I are in the minority, it takes great courage. I realize that the world says that there's strength in numbers. I realize that the majority of the people want to follow after the majority because it is easy to do so. Let me just say this. It is not difficult if I am going to live my life and I am going to travel along the path of least resistance. It takes no courage whatsoever for me to do that. When I follow along by way of the majority, it takes no courage because I am not set apart. I am not different from another. So that's an easy lifestyle, that is an easy decision, that indeed is an easy choice in my life for the things that I do. Let me just say this, that their very well may be strength in numbers with reference to worldly and secular things, but not according to spiritual things, so says the Word of God. Jesus would declare in the great sermon on the mount in the seventh chapter of the book of Matthew that just being a Christian seeking after heaven places us in the minority. Jesus said in Matthew 7, beginning in verse 13, He said, Enter ye into the straight gate, for wide is the gate, and broad is the way, that leadeth unto destruction, and many there be which go in thereat. For straight is the gate, and narrow is the way that leadeth unto life. And Jesus said, few there be that find it. You know, we need to have courage when we stand in the minority. Many examples, we sung a song just a little bit ago referring to Caleb. And you remember that Joshua and Caleb in the midst of the other spies had to take a stand. Now they're in the midst of men that were saying and declaring, We have no chance whatsoever. There's no way we're going to make it. We cannot overcome these people because they are greater. They are stronger than we are. In fact, the report that was brought back was there are giants in the land. Oh, how it must have been for Caleb to be in the minority and say such words of great strength. To have the courage to do so as the Bible says. But Caleb stilled the people before Moses and said... Let us go up at once and possess it, for we are well able to overcome. You know, not only is, are there many other examples in the Bible concerning those individuals who had to show courage in the minority, but there are also evidences in God's Word when God chose the minority to fulfill His will and fulfill His purpose. Perfect example of this, a story we all know found in the book of Judges. You remember when Gideon was about to go into battle with the Midianites, there were 32,000 men that were congregated together for the purpose of going into battle. This is what God said though. God said two things, and this is my point by the way, not really that story, this is my point. God said that there were two things that were required that he wanted to convey to the people. There was a message he wanted extended, and he chose a few men in the minority to do this. Number one, he did not want these men to go into battle and have 32,000 of them go in there and whip the Midianites, and then all of a sudden think that by their own power, their own might, their own strength, and their own wisdom, that they were victorious. We know the story. Gideon tells them, whoever doesn't want to go, you don't have to go. 22,000 go back, now you got 10,000. God said, that's still too many. Gave them a simple test of water. 300 passed, and they were victorious against the Midianites to prove point number two that God wanted. And that was simply that God chose a few men to prove and to demonstrate that Israel's God was stronger than the enemy. It has always been necessary for the people of God as we stand in the minority that we stand firm and stand with great courage. The Apostle Paul was one who stood alone from time to time and courage was required of him. But you know of all the pages that are found in all the 66 books of the Bible as we go back through biblical history as outlined and conveyed in and through God's word Of all of the characters in the Bible that were courageous in the minority, there is none other that was more courageous than Jesus Christ. If you think about the things that Jesus did, his entire existence was in the minority. Jesus was born of a virgin. The Bible says that which was conceived in her being Mary was of the Holy Ghost. He was in the minority because no one had ever been in that way. He came from heaven. He was all the way back in the very beginning, as Bob pointed out this morning in Genesis 1 and verse 26, where the Bible says, let us make man in our image. Oh yes, indeed, Jesus stood alone. Jesus was in a class for sake of a better term, all by himself. He came to this low land of sickness, sin, and sorrow And his entire life was in view of his death in the minority. He also was one that lived a life that was perfect and without sin in the minority. He was one that as he neared those last days, I would imagine being in the flesh, there was fear that that came upon him. In the Garden of Gethsemane, you remember... And I like that old song we used to sing. You remember that song when Jesus alone was standing? Jesus was all by himself in the minority when he did what he did for you and I. When he went to Gethsemane and he was praying to his father, those that were closest to him could not even stay awake long enough to sit with him through the night. Oh, we know the story. We know that Judas... Forsook him and sold his Lord for 30 pieces of silver. We know that Peter forsook him as Jesus said, you will do so. You will forsake me. You will deny me three times before the cock crows and that happened. But then the Bible says with all the other apostles that all forsook him and all fled. Again, he would have to be all alone. And then he stands before that ridiculous mock trial. He was scourged and beaten and spit in his face and a crown of thorns on his head. And yet he opened not his mouth with great courage. You ever stop to consider when Jesus was on that cross for six hours? As he hung on that cross that just may be in the flesh that he was, that some temptations might have gone through his mind. This was a, this was a being that is deity and he was brought down in the flesh. But Jesus knew that he could have called down those legions of angels and put a stop to the whole matter. But he showed great courage. Now I'm gonna tell you why. Because the greatest amount of courage you can convey is when you are courageous through obedience. Sometimes people say, listen, you've gotta be strong now. That's not strength. You've gotta be strong and think of number one. You gotta think of yourself. That's not strength there's more strength in obedience Jesus was obedient to his father he learned obedience by the things that he suffered he did it all alone in the minority and he did it for you and me remember what one man said one time that courage is doing what you are afraid to do there is no such thing as courage without fear there's nothing wrong with fear The problem is, oftentimes, fear causes us not to do what we know to be right. And when we are faced with that fear, the Bible teaches us that we must have courage and stand strong and stand firm and do that which is right. But you know, secondly, tonight, there's something else that we need to notice, I think that another time that you and I in our life are going to have to have courage is when we are going through severe temptations I think it's important though that we recognize a couple of things about temptation first of all did you know that temptation or did you realize temptation is not sin in fact the Bible teaches us that temptation channeled is a trial of our faith and when we overcome that trial of our faith and we overcome those temptations that are before us, it is a good thing for us all the way until we stand before the judgment seat of Christ. So the problem is not the temptation. The sin is in the yielding to that temptation. In James chapter one and verse 12, the Bible said, blessed is the man. That endureth temptation. For when he is tried, he shall receive the crown of life, which the Lord hath promised to them that love him. Also, we are told that we may have manifold temptations in our life, but in doing so, regardless of what is before us, excuse me, is before us, and we must go through, we must have courage. In 1 Peter chapter 1 and verse 6, the Bible says, wherein you greatly rejoice, though now for a season, if need be, you are in heaviness through manifold temptations. And I want you to notice verse number 7. That the trial of your faith, being much more precious than that of gold that perisheth, though it be tried with fire, might be found unto praise and honor and glory at the appearing of Jesus Christ. Oh, these trials of our faith, if channeled properly, if we make it through them with courage in our life, they are good for us. But let me just say this, though. There's only one way to avoid temptation in our life. There's only one way to escape the temptations that are before us day by day. And the very best way to do that is to completely avoid those circumstances that would present those temptations to us. Far too many times we want to stay just as close as we possibly can to the temptation without sinning. In fact, how many of us, I know I did when I was a younger person, how many of us say I'm a strong person? I can go along with those folks just because they're sinners doesn't mean I'm going to be I'm a strong person. I am a Christian. You even sell yourself on the fact that you're letting your light shine among them. No, sir. You are participating in their evil deeds. I'm going to tell you something. If you're living your life like that, if you're living your life that close to the line, you are going to fail. Don't take my word for it, though. Let's look at what the Bible says and notice what these words. Proverbs chapter 1 Beginning in verse 10. My son, if sinners entice thee, consent thou not. If they say, come with us, let us lay wait for blood. Let us lurk privily for the innocent without cause. Let us swallow them up alive as the grave and whole as those that go down into the pit. We shall find all precious substance. We shall fill our houses with spoil. Cast in thy lot among us, let us all have one purse. Notice, my son, walk not thou in the way with them. Refrain thy foot from their path. In other words, do not go down the path of the wicked. In the fourth chapter of the book of Proverbs, beginning in verse 14, it says there, enter not into the path of the wicked and go not into the way of the evil man. Notice what he says there. Avoid it. Pass not by it. Turn from it. And pass away. You know how you beat the devil? Just like that. You know how you make sure you don't give in to those temptations that are before you, that are your weaknesses? You do that. You turn from it, you get away from it, you don't look at it, you don't walk in the midst of it. You turn yourself as fast as you possibly can and you run as fast as you can away from it. That is how you endure temptations in your life. Notice that Paul said in 1 Thessalonians 5 and verse 22, he said simply there, abstain from all appearance of evil. Have you recognized lately that the devil is in constant battle with you every day you live for your greatest possession? You know, the devil wants your soul. It's going to be awful in Gehenna hell for the devil. It's prepared for him and his angels. And that's where the devil's going. So misery loves company, as they say. The devil wants to take just as many people with him as he possibly can, because I'll tell you, there's no hope for the devil. That's where he's going. So every day of our life, the devil is in constant battle with us for the greatest possession that we have and ever will have in all the days of our life, and that is for our soul. In this battle, If we willingly approach sin, we tempt and give place to the devil. If the things that we do and the pleasures that we desire to have bears a weak point to the devil, we better change those things because he will use those things, those devices, in order to defeat us. But you know, we find that there's a ray of hope in God's word concerning this battle that we have with the devil. The devil can be beat. You remember when the devil tempted Jesus in Matthew, the fourth chapter, we realize the devil was defeated that day by Jesus Christ himself. And in verse number 11, the Bible says that after the devil was defeated, notice what happened. He left him and behold, angels came and ministered unto him. But in order to defeat him, we must do the things that are outlined in James 4 and verse 7. Have you ever stopped to really look at James 4 and 7? It seems like it's just too simple. But it's very much misunderstood today. Let me break it down for you. There's a promise in James 4 and 7 that the devil will leave us alone. But that promise, like other promises that God gives us, is conditioned upon two conditions. There are two things that must happen before the devil will leave us alone. And notice, those two things are what you and I have to do. In other words, if we look at that verse of scripture and we notice the conditions that are described there, then we know beyond a shadow of a doubt that if we do not do those two conditions... And the promise that the Bible tells us about the devil leaving us alone will never happen. Here's the the conditions. James 4 and 7 says, submit yourself, therefore, unto God. That is first. How many people, though, say, well, I know I'm struggling in this or that or the other thing. I know I'm having problems with temptations and sinful things. The Bible said that if I submit myself to God, the devil's going to flee. I come down and I worship with my brethren. I come down and do that. That's not enough. Submit yourself, therefore, unto God means that you will seek after heavenly things, that you will set your minds and your affections on things above and not on things on the earth. If God is truly number one in our lives, every single thing that we do, every decision that we make will be different than if we are driven by the things and the pleasures of the world. So there's a very generic and general statement in submitting to God. But if I will do that, then I will do that with all of my fiber. I will be, as the Apostle Paul said in in Romans 12, I will be transformed Everything will be different in my life. That's number one. Once you get that one out of the way, the next one is very, very easy. Resist the devil. That's it. But if you try to resist the devil, but you haven't submitted yourself, therefore, into God with every fiber of your being, the promise is not for you that the devil will leave you alone. If, on the other hand, you're trying to submit yourself, therefore, unto God, but you won't resist the devil, and the promise is not for you either. The devil can be defeated, absolutely. We have blessings in that. But we must do those two things. We must never also give place to the devil. Hear the words of the great apostle Paul in Ephesians chapter 4, in verses 26 and 27. He said, Be ye angry and sin not... Let not the sun go down upon your wrath, neither give place to the devil. Notice how, di- how dangerous it is for the sun to go down upon your wrath. Do you know that Jesus was angry? Jesus was angry, that's a human emotion, and there's no sin in that. Because if there was, then Paul would not have made a distinction. He said, be angry and sin not. But notice what happens. Notice when you give place to the devil. Understanding in this battle we have that's waged between us and the devil for our soul, we don't want him to have a stronghold or a leg up, or we don't want to give place to the devil. So in understanding that, what happens when you harbor malice in your heart and you let the sun go down upon your wrath? I'm going to tell you something, the longer you're angry in your heart, the more inclined it is for you to sin. And that's why Paul said, get rid of it. That's why Paul said, you know, man thinks they're so wise. A wise man takes care of his differences before he lies down to sleep. Sometimes people talk about the golden rule, do unto others as you would have them do unto you and our schools teach that. And by the way, those are wonderful things. Jesus said that in Matthew 7 and 12. Therefore, all things whatsoever ye man, would that men should do to you, do ye even so to them. For this is the law and the prophets. And Paul said, Let not the sun go down upon your wrath, neither give place to the devil. That's really the point, isn't it? It's dangerous when we harbor those thoughts in our angry hearts because we're giving place to the devil that we are trying to defeat. To beat the devil, we must put on the whole armor of God and be courageous. In Ephesians 6 and verse 11, the Apostle Paul said, Put on the whole armor of God that ye may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. But remember that the devil does not always make a frontal attack. If the devil did, and you're thinking about some monster that's going to jump before you and scare you out of your wits, that's not what's going to happen. The devil sneaks in and knows devices. He knows weaknesses. He knows, he knows how we are. He knows what will get us. And that's what he uses. But you know, regardless of what our weaknesses are, and we all have different ones, I know that. We have the same weapon that Jesus had. And that was when the devil was confronting Jesus. Jesus beat the devil with a thus it is written. You know, we can do the very same thing. That's submitting ourselves therefore unto God, resisting the devil. You know how we do it? We tell that old devil, no. No, that's not going to happen here. When we are tempted to revenge and we know that that's a temptation from the devil, we defeat him with it is written. When we're tempted to steal, tempted to be prideful in our heart, tempted to hate our brother, tempted to go down the path of worldliness, tempted to gossip about one another, tempted to blaspheme, or tempted to stay home and forsake the assembling of ourselves together as the manner of some is, we can defeat that temptation and defeat that devil with a thus it is written. For we are not ignorant of his devices. I realize it takes great courage to win the battle over temptation in our life. But if we are ever going to defeat the devil and win the wage that is that is before us of our soul We must have great courage One man said this one time he said you know a hero is no braver than an ordinary man He's just brave a little longer Hold on You can make this You can make it in your life. You can live the Christian life and make heaven You can defeat the devil on every turn by using God's word, submitting yourself therefore unto him and resisting that devil. Let's be brave a little longer. Let's fight the devil on our terms for we are not ignorant of his devices. Thirdly tonight though, there's something else that causes us to have courage in our life. We might think at first glance this is an easy one, but really it is not. I realize that. It takes a lot of courage to reprove those who sin. You know, I'll tell you something. It is easy for me to go to Bob and say, Bob, did you hear what Terry did? Man. Terry's doing this, that, and the other. Or go to Brent and say, did you hear about Ryan? That's easy to do. You know what's harder? To lovingly go to the brother that erred and lovingly rebuke him that is much more difficult and that takes great courage In Luke chapter 17 and verse 3 Jesus said take heed unto yourselves if thy brother trespass against thee rebuke him if he repent forgive him you know there are examples throughout all the Bible about this I'll notice a couple of New Testament examples with you you remember when Philip was preaching to those at Samaria there was a man named Simon there. This was a sinful man. But Simon obeys the gospel. He hears the words and the glad, the glad words of the kingdom. And he obeys the gospel. He's baptized for the remission of his sins. Philip the evangelist now is done. So they sent for Peter and John to come back to impart spiritual gifts on those and leave those there to confirm God's word after the evangelist left. And all of a sudden, the devil knew in his devices how to get old Simon. All he knew, he was fighting to get him back from the moment he was baptized. And he saw that through the laying on of the apostles' hands, those at Samaria received a spiritual gift. And he says this, how much do you want for it? He offers them money. Peter rebuked that brother. And I'm glad that he did because the Bible says that this brother made it right. Notice he rebuked this brother by saying, repent of this thy wickedness that the thought of thine heart may be forgiven thee. He in essence says, shame on you, Simon. Shame on you because you thought that you can buy the gift of God with money. He said, thy money perishes with you. You know what Simon said? We know the story. Simon says, no, pray for me. Pray for me that all of those things that you're just now talking about will not come to me. And he repented because of that rebuke. You know, of all the people in in the Bible, of Bible history of the early church, of all the people that should have had the proper concept or proper objective and the proper heart and attitude about the Gentiles, I know that the Bible says that Paul was a chosen vessel of the Lord to bear his name to the Gentiles, but I'm going to tell you something. The one, the individual, the one apostle that should have known better was Peter. Peter got the vision in Acts, in Acts 10, and Peter was involved when the Holy Spirit came to the household of Cornelius, and even the words of Peter himself when he said, how can we forbid water when they've received the Holy Spirit the same as we Jews did too? Oh, he should have known better. But Galatians 2, 11 through 13, you know what happened? For fear of the Jews, Peter wouldn't eat with those Gentiles. Paul rebuked him. A brother rebuking another brother. Peter again rebuking Ananias and Sapphire, his wife, when they sold the possession and kept back part of the price. In Acts chapter 5 and verse 3, Peter says, Why hath Satan filled thine heart? to lie to the Holy Ghost and keep back part of the land. You see, all of these examples are examples of individuals who were members of the body of Christ and who stumbled and were in need of a rebuke. And very fortunate there was always someone there among God's people to do that very thing. Finally tonight, though, it takes great courage when you preach the truth under persecution you know when I say this I'm not making this exclusive to a preacher and I'm not making this exclusive to just one who teaches publicly I'm talking about it takes great courage to teach the truth in the face of opposition and persecution now I will say this we don't know what it's like to be truly persecuted like those of old We don't know what that's like at all. But there is certain persecution, I would imagine. I know this. There may not be persecution, but there's opposition. There's opposition all around us. It takes courage to rise up and speak the truth in times like those. But that's when it takes courage for the Christian. You know, our feet are the only feet that's going to take the gospel to the world. Our mouth is the only mouth that's going to preach and proclaim the truths that are found in God's word. Jesus is counting on us to do that. And we must do that even when it is not good for us. You know, it's easy to preach when there's no danger. It's easy for me to stand before you right now and I could preach just as boldly as I wanted to and just as strong as I wanted to. Still have loving, kind faces and expressions. What if, though, What if we were faced with tremendous opposition that even meant our very lives? Would we be so bold? Would I be so bold? Would I preach the same if I was in the midst of great opposition? The apostle Paul told a young evangelist, Timothy, that there's going to be times in his life when it will not be convenient. That's what he meant when he said, preach the word in season and out of season he also said this reprove rebuke and exhort with all long suffering and doctrine and do that when it's convenient and when it's not but even if dangers are present it should not stop us from preaching the truth and therefore that takes great courage I'll just leave you with one more example And I use this example because this was a man that did this very thing. And I use him as the example in Acts the 7th chapter. Because he was the first one that would die for what he believed. You remember when Stephen was giving his defense? You know, if you think about in your mind's eye the setting. When you think about all the faces that were standing there facing toward Stephen of how he must have felt inside, how afraid he might have been. We don't know. All we know is, as a human being with human emotions, we would look to that and think, man, I'd be just as scared as can be, even though I stood for the truth. We can assume he had some feelings like that, surely, because he knew what was about to happen. But he stood in their very presence and didn't back off one bit. He boldly preached to them, With all the fervor and all the strength and all the conviction he could possibly muster up, he preached the truth in the midst of opposition. He did so with great wisdom as he went back in time to prove and to demonstrate that the God that he served as a Christian was the same God that the children of Israel should have served but disobeyed. He talked of how God had sent a deliverer named Moses And led the children of Israel out of Egyptian bondage. He reminded them too of how their fathers would not obey. And how they turned to Aaron and said, make us gods before us. Because we don't know what's happened to Moses. We don't even know where he is. Make us gods before us that we might worship. And we know the story of the golden calf. You know what Stephen said about that? And when they made the calf, they marveled at their workmanship that they made by their own hands. They missed the whole point. They rejected the entire point. In verse 51 of Acts 7, under great opposition, this is what Stephen said. He said, you stiff-necked and uncircumcised in heart and ears, you do always resist the Holy Ghost. As your fathers did, so do ye. He asks them, he says, which of the prophets have not your fathers persecuted? He tells them, you are now the betrayers and the murderers. For you have received the law of this disposition of angels, and you have not kept it. Well, you know, about that time, that was about all they could stand. And the Bible says that they ran onto him, and they gnashed on him with their teeth. But then that narrative tells us that Stephen, being full of the Holy Ghost, He looks up to heaven, and then he says this. He says, for I have seen and I have saw up into heaven. I have seen heaven opened, and I have seen Jesus. He calls him the Son of Man, standing on the right hand of God. Well, I'll tell you, if there was any ounce left of restraint, it was gone now. And they rushed on him, and they pulled him outside the city, and they stoned him to death. You know how I know that what he was doing was the right heart, the right motive, the right attitude, and all of that? in all the things that he preached so sternly and so strictly and so so firmly? I know his heart was right, because at the very end, right before he died, he prays to God and he says, lay not this sin to their charge. And with those words, he gave up the ghost and he died. In conclusion, let me say this. We live the Christian life from day to day, and we will make decisions. Our lives are full of decisions. They really are. It's hard sometimes to make the proper choices. And sometimes the reason they're hard is because we're afraid. There's nothing wrong with fear. The only thing that's wrong with it is when we yield to it. We give in to it, and we don't do that which is right. So being afraid is okay, but let's be like those that we talked about tonight and demonstrate how we are going to have courage in our life and do that which is right. As I close, i leave you with the words that a man wrote one time about this very thing. He said, whatever you do, you need courage. Whatever course you decide upon, there's always someone to tell you that you're wrong. There are always difficulties arising that tempt you to believe that your critics are right. To map out a course of action that follows to the very end requires some of the courage that a soldier needs. You see, peace has its victories, but it takes brave men and women to win them. We thank you for listening to our podcast put on by the Church of Christ at 2215 Plans Road in Bakersfield. If you would like any additional information, or you would like to receive a free Bible correspondence course by mail, please email us at info at churchofchristbakersfield.com. Our service times are Sundays at 1030 a.m. and 5 p.m. and Wednesdays at 730 p.m. Please make plans to join us. We would love for you to be our honored guest.